morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is. Welcome once again to Gaming Street Regulars. My name's James Iris, joined as always by Chrissy Harding. Hi everyone! And today is episode number 50! Woo! We made it to 50, we made it to 50. Took us long enough, didn't it? I know, seriously. (laughs) Not for lack of trying. To be sure. To celebrate this momentous occasion, we are dedicating this episode to one of the most prominent, most important, and most influential video games ever made, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I think this was probably majority of our uh, this is probably what i would consider the super star of console gaming there were stars before but like this was one that really set a lot of records and really set the tone for a lot of games and to give you guys an idea of probably how important this is i actually found on 80s kids website Check them out because if you're someone who's like an 80s kid or a 90s kid, they have a lot of stuff in there that is your childhood, both celebrating it and making fun of it. Um, And this is actually the 12 super facts about Super Mario Brothers. So the first one is it was actually the first of its kind. It was really one of the first side scrolling games that really was released and made it very popular. And just just watching some of the runs of world love world one one really while we look at it now james and we're like just like oh it's side scrolling back then this was a big deal especially on a council just having it not be the same world over and over again in the same background that it changed and had different obstacles another thing most people don't realize is that when this game this is fact too most future versions had the glitches in it fixed so a lot of those um glitches that Super Mario Brother was known for as it was continually re-released they fixed it they would fix those glitches like the minus world glitch and that's one if you know you know <laughs> and if you don't know you google it <laughs> we will get into that in a bit yeah we will start get tell you a little bit more about the game's development and history right after this break that music is my default hold music at work so when people are like chris we need you to look for something I'm like please hold and i usually hum that music okay you just did yes i did <laughs> so directed produced and designed by shigeru miyamoto along with takashi tezuka with programmers toshihiko nakogo and kazuaki morita and of course, music and sound composed by Koji Kondo. A five-man team came up with this 36-level game, all crammed into a cartridge, the same ROM size as NES Baseball or NES Golf. Far simpler games. Or 
Excite bike or kung fu. <laughs> Naturally. And this the intention of this game was to be the culmination of everything they had done developing for cartridges. Because mm-hmm. at the time of, of release in 1985, Nintendo legitimately believed their future was going to be wrapped up in the disk system expansion. They were betting everything on this. Zelda, Metroid, Kid Icarus, and numerous other new franchises going forward. The focus was going to be on the disk because of its increased storage capacity compared to cartridges at the time. And I emphasize that, at the time. Because eventually, thanks to increasing chip technologies for storage capacity and memory mapper chips, cartridges would leapfrog the disk system by a great many bounds. Indeed. And and that is something we'll probably talk about in other episodes, too, of how the disk cartridge system evolved over time and kind of got to the point that it is now, where it isn't really so much a disk cartridge anymore as it's like a little chip. The size of actually a computer chip back in the 80s, ironically enough. So, do you want me to continue with the facts, or you want to just keep going on this vein? I'm easy. All right, uh, hit us with another fact. All right, so, as I said in the second fact, was they did fix the glitches as they kind of re-released the game. There are a few exceptions. Uh, the only versions of the re-release that did not have the glitches fits were the direct emulations of the Nintendo game, um, including the re-release on the Wii console. So if you had the Wii Virtual Console and you downloaded the emulation of it off of that, you still had those glitches in it. <laughs> so you got to feel all of our pain. We did think for a very long time, a lot of people thought that Super Mario Brothers was actually Luigi's first appearance. And um, it wasn't. I'm going to be truthful. That's something I got to call bull on that article. But that this was the first appearance? It, they're saying it isn't, actually. They're saying they are saying it isn't, but most of us did know that it wasn't. Oh, yeah. Because most of us were familiar with the predecessor game, Mario Brothers. Most of us were, but if you're someone like my nieces, you would think this was the first game. So us kids from the 80s, James, we know better. We know a lot better. And apparently, if you want to get highly technical in terms of release dates, there was a Game & Watch game, whose name escapes me, Mm -hmm. that just edged out the arcade Mario Brothers in terms of release dates that Luigi popped up in first. I just learned about this last night on a YouTube channel called Grizz. Oh, Grizz! I love Grizz. Yes, and... And apparently the Game & Watch game was conceived after development on Mario Brothers was started, but because turnaround time for those Game & Watch games was so fast, mm-hmm. it beat the game that Luigi was created for to the market. Mm. Yeah, you're right, because it could go either way with that one. But um, I want to say it's actually the first acknowledged creation of, of Luigi, because if you watch the if you watch the ad for the game... They actually do name him as Luigi, and Luigi's calling for Mario's help. So I'm almost like, eh, but that, honestly, that I will give it to for Chris. Atari by for for their ports onto their systems. Mm-hmm. In fact, that led to some confusion with kids of my generation, at least where I was growing up. But when I was going to Browncroft Day Camp, I would have to tell people, "No, Mario Brothers is a Nintendo game, despite it being on your Atari." It yeah. was 
Atari had a license to print it for for a period of time. Nintendo owns the characters. Yep, it's I never, you know, that's so weird because I never, I always just kind of thought of it as like, oh, it's a game. I wasn't like, it's this console game. It's this. I was like, cool. It's on two consoles and both I own. Awesome. So I was weird. I was a weird child. You think you were a weird child? I was a pedantic nut even back then. But we love you for that. Thank you. So here's another one. Uh, Do you know that it, that it is considered one of the best-selling video games of all time. with 40 four, million copies between all regions. 40.23 million units make it the best-selling video game of all time. There was a dispute, though. Um, some people will tell you the record, record stood until 2006 when Wii Sport beat it out because the Wii sold over four, uh, 45 million copies. But some people say that's not a fair um, count because the Wii Sport was bundled with the Wii. So if you bought the Wii, you bought the Wii Sport. Where Mario Brothers did it both ways. Where you could buy it as a single game or you could buy it as a bundle as part of the Nintendo. And So it was kind of one of those, like, does it count? Because you really can't buy Wii Sports separately from the Wii. It came packaged in where Mario Brothers had it both as a bundle or as a separate thing. Like, Yeah, in Japan, packing games were not a thing no, they at weren't. all, especially back then. You had to pick them up separately. So its original 1985 release actually came out two years after the Famicom in Japan. Mm-hmm. When Nintendo was test marketing the NES, the American Famicom, mm-hmm. in 1985, they did not have the pack-in for Super Mario Bros. there either. The, the set they were focusing on selling was the big deluxe set that came with Rob and the Zapper and the two cartridges for Gyromite and Duck Hunt. Super Mario Brothers was only available separately. Mm-hmm. So that's where like a lot of people fight that one. It's like, is it really the best-selling game? Or is it best-selling because it was packed in with the Wii? Because, I mean, honestly, to me, I do enjoy, I did enjoy, I do and did enjoy playing Wii Sports. I mean, I still have my Wii. I still play it every so often. But it wasn't, that would not have been a game. I would have been like, I must have this. This must be mine, like I would with Mario Brothers. So it, that is where kind of the, the argument online is. Does it really count? Because you were kind of forced to get it. It wasn't a game that you chose to get. Where Mario Brothers, you had, in back in the 80s, you could choose if you wanted to buy the game or not. So that's kind of where some people are like, does it really count? That it has, so, and those people who say don't count, Mario Brothers is still the best-selling video game in history. And on that note, it has also gone down in history. So as you know, me and James like to talk about one of our local landmarks known as the National Museum of Play at Strong. And we normally talk about the Toy Hall of Fame part of it. But it actually has a video game hall of fame as well that's fairly recent. And Mario Brothers was one of the first six video games that was inducted into the video game hall of fame when we did the first year of it. So it is now a recognized piece of history in the video game hall of fame. And I think we should totally do an episode about the video game hall of fame here in Rochester. Put it on the list. 
That's not a problem. I, I, when I saw him, I'm like, oh, we definitely have to. I forgot about that. We have to talk about that. Um, this one's a little bit of a nitpicker. Toad's name is not actually Toad's name in the game. It's Mushroom Retainer. Yeah, Royal Mushroom Retainer. That was actually his official name and title in, in the original game. Uh, we think Toad has a better ring to it. And I kind of agree with them on that. I like Toad better. Yeah, that wouldn't come along until the sequel game, which is a whole nother episode unto itself. Yeah, we're only going to talk about the original game. If you're thinking we're going to talk about uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 American version, uh, that's going to be a whole, that's a whole other episode. Um, Mario has been in more than just one game before Super Mario Brothers, but we all kind of know that. He was Jumpman in Donkey Kong. Um, and all and the then Donkey the villain Kong. in Donkey Kong Jr. Then he teams up with Luigi in Mario Brothers. Of course, there's all the game and watch titles like Mario Cement Factory and his cameo appearances in games like tennis and golf and uh, their appearance in Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something that would have probably made the original Super Mario Brothers game a whole lot cooler, but it could not be done with the limitations on the Nintendo system at the time. Uh, Shiguro Miyamoto wanted to actually include a dinosaur character from Mario to ride in the original game. Yeah, he's had that on the drawing table since then, and for years and years he wanted to do it for Super Mario 3, but they still couldn't quite make it work right. It took until the 16-bit iteration, Super Mario World, for Yoshi to finally jump off. Yep. And... But funnily enough, mm-hmm. Hudson Soft beat them to the punch. Yes. The dinosaur characters being rideable in the Adventure Island games. Which I enjoy those games and we need to do an episode on them too. We should just do an episode on Hudson Soft because they had some really fun games. Um, but yeah, so when the Super Nintendo system came around, he got his wish and he finally got to have a dinosaur in the game. And hence, Yoshi was officially born, but Yoshi has been kicking around for a lot longer than that. So technically, Yoshi as an idea is about as old as Mario. Now, there's two directions I can spin this conversation off from, and I'm going to let you pick, Chrissy. Okay. Do you want me to talk more about Hudson's relationship with Super Mario Brothers, or do you want me to talk more about things that were cut from the first game? Things that were cut from the first game. We can save the Hudson Soft one when we do the Hudson when we do a Hudson Soft episode. Well, so we'll cover go, both, people. because Hudson and Super Mario Brothers gets very specific to this. Mm. But uh, as far as things that got cut, originally... Mario was going to have a gun. What? I'm quite serious. You got to be, wait, a gun. An a gun. actual gun. Yeah. Okay. I prefer the fact that the only projectiles he used is the Koopa shells, but I'm so glad that got cut. Yeah. I really, Yeah, they, they, decided, they decided it was too powerful for him to start off with something like that. And that's when they eventually came up with uh, the Fire Flower. I would say that was a hallmark improvement with the Fire Flower. This game is trippy enough as it is, we don't need to include firearms. Hmm. Well, technically we have firearms. I mean, look at Bullet Bill. I don't know if you can consider Bullet Bill a firearm or like a really, really slow death. Hmm. Because if you can't dodge Bullet Bill, there's questions Um, I have. Maybe. 
Well, if you can't dodge Bullet Bill when you see him coming for you, like you see him coming, he's not very fast. You can jump him. I get it. If you're distracted because your mom's yelling at you that it's time for dinner and you don't have enough time to pause the game, yeah, I can give that def to you. Oh, another concept that got left on the drawing board table that would get used eventually mm-hmm. in another game, Mario or Luigi flying a rocket ship. That would actually have been a really cool way to get through a few of those levels. I'm not going to lie. That's right up there with taking out the Laiku and stealing his cloud. You mean Lackey 2? Lackey 2. I always call him Laiku. I don't know why. Lackey 2. And stealing the cloud. Which yeah. I love the development of the Lackey 2 in later games where he's no longer an enemy. He's just somebody who's kind of filming everything. Or delivering messages from Mario. <laughs> I had to give kudos to that when that popped up in the Mario and Luigi games. It's like, that's a cute idea. And on top of that, the original incarnation of Bowser was he was going to look more like an ox. Inspired by the Ox King from the toy animation film Alakazam the Great. Interesting. Jessica eventually decided he'd look better as a turtle. I can give that to him. I mean, we do have a bit of a turtle thing with the Koopa Troopers, Troopas and stuff like that. Yep, an evolution of the Shell Creepers from Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. So, what else? Did anything else get cut that you could think of, or just... Those yeah. are the big ones that I can find. I don't know if there's anything about stages that got cut, because they had to really work and do, perform some tricks to get things to all fit in that tiny little ca- cartridge space they had. Which is fair. I mean, the, I the mean, size of some Word documents are bigger than the space they had to work with. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Another thing that's kind of cool too, just to kind of this tie tie this kind of back to Rochester uh, to to the Strong Museum. We actually did. There was an exhibit, and I think it's a traveling exhibit that Nintendo puts out, where it actually shows you the notes and the sketchbooks and the programming code for the original Mario Brothers, and how much work these five people put into this game. And it's really kind of cool seeing uh, Miyamoto's, like, initial sketches for the game. He definitely wanted to do something just a little bit different from Donkey Kong, but also still, you know, you could kind of tell that the games were related. Um, And it's just cool kind of seeing his notes and stuff. But let's talk, well, why don't we talk about Hudson Soft's tie to Mario Brothers, since we're kind of, that's fresh. So they got a license to produce for the MSX computer platform various Nintendo games, and Super Mario Brothers was one of them. And it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Dubbed Super Mario Special was released in 1986 for the, actually, not for the MSX, but the NEC, PC8801, and Sharp X1 personal computers. The NES supports scrolling. As in being able to walk and then the scenery moves as you walk. But these computers did not. So instead, you had one screen as a set piece. You get through that. Then it flips to the next one. So you wound up with a wholly newly designed game that not only included that, but also included some of the enemies from Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong. Hmm. So yeah, the fighter fly and the sidestepper were in there, and you'd run it. You'd see some barrels every once in a while. I don't think Donkey Kong himself appears. Uh, that actually would have been kind of cool. Yeah, 
Another kind of cool thing is um, there are a couple of different modified versions of the game as well. And one that's actually really rare to find, um, I'm going to actually preface this with the word Nippon actually means Japan. I actually learned that when I was doing some research into some of the antique bowls and stuff we found when we moved. And before a certain time period, if it said Nippon on the bottom, that means it was made in Japan before the 1920s. I had several of these that we sold. They were beautiful too. I kind of wanted to keep them, but mom said no. So one of the games that came out in 1986 in Japan as a promotional was All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers. And this was based in it. What it was, it was a promotional item to be given away by the popular Japanese radio show All Night Nippon. Game was published by Fuji TV, which later published Doki Doki Panic. America that is known as Mario Brothers 2. The game featured graphics based upon the show with sprites of the enemy, the mushroom tainer, other characters being changed to look like famous Japanese musical idols of the time, recording artists and DJs, pretty much people related to All Night Nippon. It had a slightly upgraded graphics and they altered the physics in the game um, just a tiny bit. This The current collector's market considers it an extremely rare game. For the game to sell without the case is about $500. With the case is a whole lot more. So if you have that game, I would suggest either A, selling it, or B, hiding it away and wait for the market to go up even more on that. Yeah, that and Super Mario Special are just two of the numerous remakes of this game. We've This is, of course, the 16-bit Super Mario All-Stars, which compiles all the NES games and updates the graphics and sound for the Super NES. There's the Game Boy Color Super Mario Deluxe, which adds some other elements like the overworld map and uh, some references to Yoshi are thrown in there. I believe there's some coins with Yoshi's likenesses on them that becomes a, a collectible you look for in the stages. Mm-hmm. And then there's my favorite modified version of it that came out as part of Mario's 35th birthday in 2020 that actually helped me get through a good portion of the pandemic. And that was Super Mario Brothers 35, which was a 35-player battle royale where you pretty much ran through, I think it was like the first stage of the game, and you were competing against 35 other players. And as you competed, as you went through the stage, you could pick up power-ups that you could throw at your enemy stages to to screw them up. And that if was If memory fun. serves me right, I think the stages alternated based on on a, on a set course. Mm-hmm. And I always got and the yes, first you stage. are correct about the power-ups. In fact, one of the things you could do was throw enemies you defeated over to other players. That was fun. I always lost, but it was so much fun. I used to chuck chuck those things at the other people I was playing against, like all the time. Like, oh, I beat it, bro, 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 bro. I played my friend Hope in it once, and we both kind of tied on it. Someone else won the game, but we were having fun, like aiming for each other, because we're like, wait, I know you. I'm gonna sabotage just you. And we should also mention the interquel between the the original Super Mario Brothers and the Japan's Super Mario Brothers two which is Versus Super Mario Brothers, which was a release for the Versus arcade units Nintendo had out as a way of test marketing their NES games for, for American audiences and also, you know, maintaining some foot in the, in the arcade market. And some of the levels in that game would be transferred over to the Japanese sequel Super Mario Brothers 2. Which we know in the United States as the Lost Levels. Right. 
just just in case you're like, wait, I don't remember. No, it's called Lost Levels here. It's the true Super Mario Brother 2. Not what we got, which was an acid trip in and of itself. But I, I remember seeing this set and watching someone play through it long enough. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember bloopers appearing in the ground levels. <laughs> yeah, it's... Mario has definitely had a long journey, and we haven't even made it to the second game yet. Like, this is just all the stuff from the first game. And I feel bad because if you think about it, so America and Japan got this game in 85. Could you imagine being in Europe and not getting it until 1987? Mm. And also uh, Australia at the time, which was considered a separate market, got it in that time frame too. So for two years, America, North America and Japan had been playing this game before Europe finally got it. And that's evil. That's a whole other level of evil. What's not evil, thankfully, mm-hmm. is the design of World 1-1. Now, we I talked about a little bit of this when we did our vocabulary of video game sound effects episode. Mm-hmm. Where we went into how those sounds reinforce the gameplay loop. But level 1-1 is really a masterclass of how to introduce a game and its mechanics to a player slow and steady. Because it's not complicated. No, and it, it really you just... lets you play with the mechanics of the game too. And not a safe environment, but better than you know being spoon-fed. Absolutely. It's just a very few... Things to, to, as Miyamoto would describe, players everything they need to gradually and naturally understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Just come to grips with how to deal with the Goombas. You, you know, you learn what, what the question blocks are for and about what Mario's jump can and can't do. <laughs> and all three power-ups make appearances. Mm-hmm. And what's kind of cool with this game, too, is... um. I remember when we took my education classes, we actually used World 1-1 as an example of teaching skills through repetition, iteration, and escalation. So you learn how to jump by repeatedly jumping. And you learn, you know, and as, you know, so there's the repetition. And then there's, okay, you got down jumping on the enemies. Now here's three enemies in a row. Let's see how you do. Awesome. Now here's now here's something where you could jump on the enemies and then jump here. So it got you, it really started to train you with those motor skills and that thinking of, okay, here's the problem. Here's how I can solve it because I've just been solving all of these. And then as you go deeper and deeper in the game, you really start to notice that you're still using those same skills. You're just applying them into more escalated scenarios and more escalated situations. And you also learned how to quickly pick the skill you need to fit that to the point where you're not even thinking. You just do it. You're like, oh, this is what this is. Boom. And that's really kind of cool because I remember when I was doing an edu- when I was first taking my education classes, we had a professor who's like, just like the tutorial in a video game. He's like, that's what you're really, he says, and he showed it. And it was like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's that educational model. And I Dr. Vermette would be absolutely ecstatic that I brought in one of his teaching aides into a gaming podcast. Love you, Dr. Vermette. 
So over the course of the podcast, we've alluded a few times to how little space they had for everything. Mm -hmm. And some of the tricks they used to get around this limitation included clouds and bushes in the game's background. They use the exact same sprite, just recolored. Yes. This is the first time in history of recolored sprites. Wasn't Bob and George, the comic book. But the thing is, is that you really didn't notice it because of how much it worked. And I have to give them kudos because to have some, to, to do something like that to help kind of save space. And in some ways it's a little lazy. Let's just put it out there. And you didn't notice it until you were older. And you're like, oh my God, that's the exact same sprite. Oh my God, that's the exact same. Like, that's identical. Like, you don't notice it till you're older because when you're playing the game, they distract you with so much of the game itself, you don't notice it. And that is a huge testament to the skill and the quality of the game. And that and graphics weren't the only things recycled. Sounds were, too. Mm-hmm. The sound where Mario is damaged and switches back, switches from Super to uh, plain old Mario is the same sound as when he enters a pipe. Mm-hmm. And the sound effect for Mario jumping on an enemy is the same sound as each stroke when swimming. Mm-hmm. And even the Goomba's creation was tied into this need to save space because the Goomba is a single static image flipped back and forth, back and forth. So to give the illusion of walking. That is so cool. Another way to to that they did save space was the total score of Mario Brothers, all of these worlds, there's only six actual tracks. There's only six. Yep, there's the above ground music, the underground music, the underwater music, the Bowser's Castle music, the mm-hmm. victory fanfare, and I think the, uh, the game over. Mm-hmm. So what they would do... Was was they literally he made it? He just created these three themes, and then he or these six themes, and then he would change the tempo based on how to fit that stage of the game. It's it's definitely a masterclass in the economy of putting what you have to its most efficient use. Oh, and I get, I also just read this too. Cause this is. Just to jump on this, do you know the actual date it was released in Japan? Um, that would be September thirteenth of nineteen eighty-five. Which was a a Friday. It was Friday the thirteenth. I'm not surprised. My grandmother was born on Friday the thirteenth, so. Hey, I just think it's funny that it was born on what's con- it was released on what's considered the unluckiest day of the one of the unluckiest days of the year. And it just did, it was like, it's lucky charm. Like, it did so well. So do you have any specific memories of this game? The first time I actually watched, Mar- saw Mario Brothers, just, as, just to let, you know, my family always, we had an Atari. My dad loved his toys, but we didn't really have a lot of money to always have the newest gadget. So, like, I played Atari. I thought Atari was was the pinnacle of gaming. It was one of the greatest things ever. And then I spent the night at my friend Sarah's house and her brother was playing this video, was playing with this new gaming system called the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES. And we were sitting on his bed. He was sitting on the ground and it was literally, 
she was having a sleepover and so you had like 15 girls piled into her brother's room we're all around him watching him play this video game on a color tv which was like to me because we had black and white tvs um was so awesome to see that when i went home i told my dad about it and then my dad had talked to his dad and found out where to get it so my dad saved up the money and he got us the nintendo system and the games we got with it were we had the mario brothers duck hunt package we hit he got golf because my father loved golf games and there was um we had like a couple of others too, like baseball and I think Excite Bike. And we would sit and we had it initially. This poor Nintendo system traveled all over my house. So it started in the basement, which was the family room. And then it moved upstairs because everyone was always down in the family room and no one was upstairs. So my dad's like, well, let's move it upstairs. Then my mom got upset because when we would come home from school, my mother would tape her soap operas on the living room tv so when you went to go play video games on the living room tv my mother wasn't recording her soap operas anymore she was recording us dying a billion times during mario brothers so then Mm. it got banned back to the basement it went from the basement to my room from my my dad would go in and sit in my room and play and he felt really weird sitting in his daughter's frilly girly room playing mario brothers so then it went back downstairs one point it was in their bedroom, but then he got pissed because we would all pile into their bedroom and play and wouldn't leave. So then he moved it back. That, like this poor gaming system went all over. The- but I so that my, my first memory was sitting there watching my my friend's brother playing Mario Brothers, and we got so excited when he beat Bowser, and then we read the infamous message: "Your princess is in another castle." And we were like, what? Because you think you beat the first level. You know, you're thinking you beat this game. There's the princess. No, it is not her. It was the ultimate fake out. And then you had to go to the next level. How about you, James? What was your first memory? Well, my first memory was probably when my dad brought the system home in 1987 we we were a little late to the game with this system. We picked it up when Legend of Zelda was new. Mm-hmm. So, because we got Zelda at the same time. You know, I remember we'd play it and enjoy it. I don't think either Dad or I beat it. I remember watching my Uncle Mike beat it at his place in Dansville. And I was pretty amazed at that. <laughs> I mean, I already looked up to Uncle Mike because he was just the loveliest uncle you could ask for but now he had some bragging rights that i know i couldn't do <laughs> there's always and one. i remember super mario brothers was the the game people just made shit up about to brag like you know how if you when you beat the game and then you get access to the alternate take on the game where all the goombas are replaced with the fireproof buzzy beetles yes I would overhear people bragging, oh, I've made it to the fourth playthrough. And then someone would chime in, the one where they're all Bowsers, and the, and the first guy would be like, yeah, exactly. Oh, the things we would come up with on the, on the game, just to look cool. Yeah. And that tradition continues to this day. Indeed it does. I think, I, I see, I, I went to parochial school. So 
you couldn't really talk in parochial school all that much about the video game about video games because we had we had a couple of the more old school sisters and it was like to them it was like also to rem- and also to let people know in the 80s was the time of something known as the satanic panic mm-hmm. and that was where music video games D, all the really fun stuff was considered of, of satan so if we started talking about stuff like that at school, it was like you learned really fast not to talk about that stuff at school in front of the sisters. Like we could talk about it in the school bus. You could talk a bit as you stood outside the school waiting for them to open the doors. But the second you walked into those halls, conversation was done. Conversation was done. You couldn't talk about it in front of the sisters because the sisters would then sit there and call your parents. And, you know, it was just a whole big mess. Because then they would question your parents of why are they showing, why are they having your kid, why is your child talking about the satanic stuff? And it's like, I think just the parents would be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Don't talk about it at school. Okay. My parochial school was weird. I love the library, though. The librarian was awesome. Oh, good. Good. Well, she had, it was funny. This is a, this is a tangent, people. I thought it was hilarious now that I'm older and looking back on it with all of these nuns and all of these sisters that would throw fits about the satanic panic. Our library actually had books in there of what is the Loch Ness Monster? Are UFOs real? What are ghosts? And stories about hauntings. Let that disconnect go for a second. Yeah. And disclosure, I read all of those books five times over. I always took them out. And I remember the sister who was in charge of the library was just like, now remember, don't let Sister Lucetta see these. Mm-hmm. No problem. I'll hide them. She was cool. I love that sister. All right. So do you have any more interesting points on that article? Uh, I think I covered them all. It was just 12 points. Okay. Because I, I think I've covered just about everything important here, too. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I can definitely add to that is um, the Mario Brother music is probably the most earworm catching drill into your brain. You, you will never know when you start to say it, but as soon as you but somehow you'll start humming it and then you'll be like, where the hell did that come from music you will ever hear in your life? I can think of one that equals it, though. Which one's that one? Bubble Bobble. Fair. I'm not going to say it exceeds, but it is an equal. Oh, it is. It is definitely up there. Bubble Bobble is definitely up there. Bob and Bob. And and that's going to be yet another topic for another day. I'm just going to ask one last question of you. Besides Mm -hmm. Bowser himself, was there an enemy that gave you particular trouble? For me, it was the Hammer Brothers. Oh, my God. It was the Hammer Brothers. Them and the bloopers. Those freaking little squids. I hated those things. I was fine with Bowser. I knew how to get by Bowser. I knew how to beat Bowser. Those Hammer Brothers, oh my god. You could have any strategy in the world and somehow they they would somehow still beat you. And the bloopers, oh I hated those things. I'm like, oh I made it by them. And next thing you know, and they got me. And I'm like, I don't like you no more. Now I know why I like calamari, because I'm eating you. And now here's the thing about the Hammer Brothers. <laughs> they followed you across game series. You just yes. didn't know it, because they disguised themselves as another monster. 
But oh that little God. ball and chain throwing critter in the dungeons in Zelda 2, that's the exact same behavior pattern as the Hammer Brothers. I swear to God, the Hammer Brothers, I swear to God, were like your stalker. Like, I, I enjoy the later games that made fun of them. And they really did make fun of them. Uh, the, some of the later games where they started to do more of the RP elements, RPG elements to them. And they started giving them like, I don't know, it was kind of like they started giving them like personalities. And after a while, you're just like, you guys are so funny. But the original Hammer Brothers, oh my god, in the first Mario game, I hated them. I literally would take the controller, and if my dad was in the basement, I'd be like, Dad, can you get me by them? I eventually just pawned them off on my father. Hmm. Like, Dad, can you do this? Or if my sister, Lori, can you do this? I hate video games. I don't care. Please, beat them. And of course, we'll talk more about those critters when we get to super mario brothers 3 down the line mm. that's when you could turn the tables oh yeah especially with that little costume and what's funny to me now is it's kind of karma has come back and gotten me with that was when my nieces were playing up i bought them super mario brother wii and when i would babysit them i literally hear aunt chris can you get me by this <laughs> Sure. Here you go, kiddo. I also like to say that Mario Brothers did lead to one of the best shows on TV during the 80s. And that was the Super Mario Brothers Super Super Show. Yeah, that show took elements of both the first and second game. I just love Captain Lou. What bugged me about it is in our area, it was on at 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. And then the and then the second season, the Club Mario Years, mm-hmm. was on at two thirty in the afternoon, while mm. I was still at school. See, it's so funny is as everyone's like it was up so early. I'm like, punks. I'm like I was up that early. Super Mario Brothers is on at six thirty in the morning. I was up at six. I had my I would have my breakfast. I would eat my cereal and be in front of the TV set. My father would get up, be like, "Why are you up so early?" I'm like, "Cartoons, hmm. cartoons." Plus, my father had his train on weekends if you wanted breakfast, which was my dad making fried eggs, bacon, and toast, and he was a he made an amazing breakfast. During the summer, your butt better be up by 6 o'clock because he went golfing at 7. Okay. So if you wanted breakfast, you had to be up when he was home. He'd make you breakfast, and then he'd go golfing. He wouldn't wait for you to get up to make breakfast and then go golfing. His tea time was 7 o'clock in the morning. Your butt had to be up at 7 o'clock before then to get breakfast my sister never quite learned that i did i was up at six i was like i'm here where's my breakfast and then i go watch gi joe and transformers and gem and all of those other shows all right well we're gonna get up for a break yay and when we return we will have this day in gaming history Want to support the Irregulars? 
head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc dot org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc dot org at the moment we're still working out most social media matters but we are indeed on facebook at gaming street irregulars christy and i are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool and begging i mean asking for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Today in gaming history is a day that lives in mild infamy. Just On mild? March 3rd in 2004, mm-hmm. Lucasfilm Games canceled the sequel to Sam and Max Hit the Road because the sales department believed there wasn't a market for adventure games in 2004. I really hope they fired that marketing team. Probably, but members of of the development team would eventually go on to found Telltale Games, and they took the Sam and Max license with them, but they couldn't use any of the things they were developing for that sequel. They had to start from scratch. Ah, and Sam and Max is such a great game series, too. Freaking mm-hmm. bean counters. There's a new one coming out for virtual reality devices. I saw that. I'm actually trying to convince my job because we, we're doing a study right now with virtual reality and helping kids do, you know, using it to help children um, relax for dental procedures or any procedures. Like, so they're doing like research into how this helps kids with their anxiety when it comes to doctor's appointments and stuff. I'm going to be like, can we get this just so we can play with it? Hmm. We can use it as part of research, really. Really? Yeah. I'd be like, we can use it as part of research. Just give me enough time. I'll make a convincing argument. Yeah. I still quote the original Sam and Max game to this day. I will say, percent sign, dollar sign, ampersand, and colon, semicolon, two. (laughs) What am I doing? I'm swearing in longhand, asterisk mouth. I love that game. That game was so cool. I do. Uh, someone needs to fire someone. I hope someone fired that marketing department. It's like, who are you people? And just stop. Like yeah. you can tell they were not gamers. Basically. I mean, 
to a degree, I don't blame them because at that time, the first person shooter and the Diablo style uh, point and click RPG, those were the dominant gaming forms on the market. But still, Sam and Max would have carved its own niche, I think. Sam and Max would have told the, the sequel was so anticipated. That sequel was so anticipated for that game. Like I, I played the original one, but I, but I had to play it going over to somebody else's house because I didn't have the system at the time. And I was like, when someone was like, the sequel's coming out. Like me and my friend, who I, whose house I would crash at to play this game at, were like trying to, like we were, we were looking for any information when this game was coming out. And then when it didn't come out, and to know it's because of these jerks in marketing that did this. You better hope I don't find you because that was the most crushing day when we when we, we were told it was canceled. I'm sorry. I'm still very sore about that. That's okay. And I don't blame you. But I hope we're not still not sore when we come back next week. Hopefully we'll have Dan and Chris on to talk Lego. Woohoo! That's the plan, at least. Get them on before we have our other Lego-oriented guest. Oh, Yes. And you can tell more, you can actually, and give us an update on your Lego project too. Yes, yes, I will give the formal update then, but, you know, watch the Facebook page and, of course, keep listening. We appreciate each and every one of you who downloads. We love and you. And Christy Harding, I'm James Irish. Thank you so much for listening to Gaming Street Irregulars, and as always, game on. Bye, everyone. Bye.